In this corner with Brian Campbell, instant analysis pod as we can recap WWE, great balls of fire. Look, here's the deal. It's late, so we're going to dispense with the pleasantries. I'm Nick Costos, joined as always by the Brian Campbell and the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Guys, a very entertaining pay-per-view put on by WWE. We'll give our reviews at the end, but we have to start Brian Campbell with the Main event for the Universal Championship, Brock Lesnar beats Samoa Joe about an eight-minute match. Can we really can I we have, really, we we really have to funny. What you got? Can, can you really start with Brock Lesnar? Yeah, how are you just gonna casually start in New York Nick coming off of a vacation, just slip right back in our DMs and be like, no, we're gonna start talking about Brock. No, we're gonna talk about the damn ambulance off the top because I mean those balls were great, right? And in the the headline coming <laughs> out of there for as great as that Brock match is, and I'm about to tell you about it, Nick. The headline coming out of there was Yo, that's assault, brother. That's attempted murder, brother. Like, Roman Reigns, he just turned heel. Okay, now now that you have officially, you know, you, you've ripped the wool out from underneath me here. We can now go to that. Yo, we were going to get to it, and I had a lot of things that we were going to get to with it. I thought the Brock Joe thing was pretty noteworthy, but it is the Brian Campbell show in this corner with Brian Campbell. So, BC, we will roll with you here. Let's begin then with the, you know what, let's just start the whole damn thing over. Ready? Three, two, one. WWE Instant Analysis Podcast. No, just kidding, but we will break down the ambulance match. Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman wins the match cleanly, and really, the match itself was very good, but the match was not the story. It was the post-match angle that they filmed with Roman Reigns absolutely going ballistic after he loses the match, comes out of the ambulance, beats the hell out of Braun Strowman, puts Braun in the ambulance, backs it up at a very high speed. Obviously, Braun not actually in the ambulance when it hits whatever the hell it hit, the wall, the truck, or whatever. They do a long, elongated angle where they get Braun out of the ambulance. He stumbles out. He's bleeding profusely. He stumbles away, looking like the good guy. So Braun goes over and Reigns ends up looking like the petulant sore loser Brian Campbell. So a lot to dig into with that ambulance match. Look, straight up off the top, what do we have the potential for right here? A double turn. We have the potential for your guy, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart, right? From WrestleMania 13. Not the same situation, not the same scenario, but you may get that same effect in the end because we talked about the buildup. Braun is getting babyface cheers even though he's this Neanderthal heel. Reigns is not even attempting to act like a babyface anymore. And obviously this takes it and goes out into like way left field. This is Lyle Menendez territory. This is this is OJ. This is way out there, all right? This is attempted murder. And you know what? In the end, it was awesome because you have to make that decision for yourself <laughs> when stuff like this happens, when they dip back into the Attitude Era, when they get crazy. You have to say, look, am I on board with this 80s B-movie awesome action cheesiness or am I going to, you know, look, obviously on Twitter, I tweeted out a bunch of jokes. I had fun with it. But you have to make that decision. Am I going to enjoy this for what it is? Or am I going to go, well, you know what? Uh, uh, we might have to DQ him. I mean, he did try to kill a guy. I mean, no, we're not going to go down that road. In the end, this was awesome. It actually could, if they go that way, produce the double turn because Braun fought through the jaws of life, comes out, he's bleeding, probably from a, from a capsule, but it looked awesome. He's smearing blood against the white 18-wheeler on the side, yelling at everybody to get away from him. This was impactful. This was a major moment in the storyline where it's like, wow, where do we go from here? Look, they could have just had a physical match that had an actual ending. It could have been a Roman victory for all we knew. But in the end, not only did Roman lose, but they're going deep into left field. And it's just like Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. If you're going into left field and you're going down the crazy roads, you better have all your bases covered. Right now, it's, it's winning me over, man. Because, Nick, here is something you can't understand. How Roman Reigns almost just killed a man, and I'm fired up about it. You feeling what I'm feeling? 
Uh, we, we raged against the machine. All right. And that was a terrific, terrific match here. Silver King, your take here as I come up with some rage against the machine one liners to match with PC. <laughs> so let me say this. First of all, we just have on audio tape that Brian Campbell thinks attempted murder is awesome. So we have that. It's now known. It's out there in the universe. And it's a look, heel look. turn. By the way, uh, attempted murder is an official heel turn for any. I know every time I say Roman's a heel, Nick goes, no, he's not a heel. Nick, no, he's no, no. a heel. Yeah, yeah. He's a heel. This was a double turn. There's no way it's not. They, I really, listen, I loved every second. I'm going to tell you why I loved it so much. I really wanted him arrested. I wanted them to go find him in the back. Even after the Lesnar match, they find him in the locker room. The cops grab him, arrest him. Why is he not arrested? Like that needs to happen. And if not tonight, then Monday on raw, like that needs to happen. He, he needs to have charges filed against him by the state. And Braun comes out and says, no, no, I'm not doing that. We're going to settle in the, in the ring or, you know, whatever he says. So I really wanted that also to happen. But this is what impressed me about the match and why I loved it so much. The finish was great with Roman and driving the ambulance into the semi. Awesome. But it was the lead up to that because this is what happened. This is how it transpired. All of a sudden, you have Braun looking a little bit weak in the ring. Then he starts no selling chair shots. They bring him up to the ramp. He does the spot throwing reins into the ambulance. Tosses him onto the stage. Reigns throws him into the set. Breaks that barrier. Fantastic. Guys, one of the best things I've seen in WWE in quite some time, and there were people on Twitter that disagreed with me, was the Ole, you know, bull maneuver of Strowman letting Reigns spear himself right into the ambulance for the win in that match. That connected with him then opening the doors and jumping out of it. Every single thing, it just escalated one after another. And the way that you... Book a match and book an angle in WWE is through escalation. That delivered in every way. I think, Brian, you gave it a B plus. Am I right? A plus for me, the ambulance match. Uh, you know, I would throw a Rage Against the Machine song out there, and it would be wake up to both of you guys. Um, Adam goes, this was absolutely a double turn. There's no chance this was a double turn. Now, I'm shocked that everyone thinks like this was a heel turn for Roman Reigns, and everyone's like, whoa, why, why did Roman Reigns act like this? Like, are we all conveniently forgetting that like two months ago, whatever the hell it was, Roman Reigns was viciously attacked in the storyline by Braun Strowman, was on a gurney and thrown off the ramp. Like, you could argue that that was more vicious than what Roman no. Reigns did. Like, like, well, yeah, he did have an ambulance murder. flip, that's true. Like, like where, do, like, where do you draw the line at attempted murder? Like, what Braun did was not attempted murder, but what Roman Reigns did, like, what Reigns did was justified. Now, I do like the fact that they are playing a little bit up to the fact that the crowd does not like Reigns and the crowd likes Braun Strowman, so they gave you a little bit of that. But if you're expecting Roman Reigns to come out on Raw and all of a sudden he's going to be a heel, not happening. And Braun Strowman is not a babyface. Guys, absolutely not happening. So I I'm going to put that to bed here. And look, I think more people agree with you then agree with me on that. So we'll have to yeah, wait and Nick, see. Maybe it but was I the, never got that sense. Maybe it was the way you was raised where you can justify. I mean, people used to say, well, if that, you know, if that was a heel turn, then Hulk Hogan was a heel in the 80s because, you know, he came back and raked people's eyes and threw and threw packets of salt in their eyes, which he did at times. I mean, he totally act like a heel. This is murder, bro. Yeah, this this and a fraud. Yeah, well, come on. <laughs> you know, don't don't try to tear my heart out there. But the whole point in the end is it worked. And, and I, you know, do you have any feel on where this goes? How do they take this to a new level here? Because this opened up a new chapter to me of 
it, by removing the predictability. Now I really don't know how they go from here. There are more layers. There is the potential heel turns, like we said. There is a whole new direction they can go. And man, it really felt like what had already been an incredible build of Braun Strowman and getting him over. Now I don't think there's a ceiling because now you are putting him over as a guy who can fight through anything. We'll show you that baby face hunger to fight through anything. There's no ceiling now how good this guy can be. Put him in the main event of SummerSlam, New York, Nick. You and I are going to be there. Put him right there, bro. Uh, let I want to spin away from the what's next conversation because that could potentially intertwine with what we saw in the main event with Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe. So let's hold this conversation until then because we could easily see one or two or both of those guys involved in the main event for the Universal Championship come SummerSlam. Now, my last note on this match, and we'll talk a lot more about this on Wednesday, the regular edition of In This Corner following Raw and SmackDown this week. We know that Roman Reigns is a big-time performer. Like, you want to bang on the guy, you want to boo the guy, that's great, whatever. The bottom line is the guy consistently puts on very good matches, and he's a, a badass, elite performer, right? Today, tonight, showed me that Braun Strowman is also up to yes. the task. Because that was a hell of a performance by Braun Strowman. And look, he had to carry that after he gets out of the ambulance. Like, that's a, a pretty nifty bit of acting done by Braun Strowman there as he's stumbling around with the blood caked in his hair, um, trying to, to keep his footing. He, he's selling what could potentially be an ankle injury. He's limping. I, I thought this was a star-making turn for Braun Strowman tonight. We knew he was good, but I think tonight Braun Strowman showed you guys that he can be great. Because he doesn't need to act a lot to work and I think that they when they control his acting when they don't let him do what he did in the Raw episode leading into here which was have a promo don't let this guy cut promos right let him scream and I think to your point Nick there was a, another level in his ability to act and his ability to put things over that's why I'm saying no ceiling I like I thought I knew that this guy could be a monster heel and could carry a title for a season but eventually get stale with his limitations I don't know what his limitations I'm look I'm not trying to say he's you know Hulk Hogan or Kevin Nash but I'm saying that this guy's going big places, Nick, and maybe I needed that extra push to really realize that. And there'll so be no ceilings here. Yeah, you, how about that? Great I was about to, I was about to go. The ceiling is the roof. But uh, this is what I'll say to Brian's point and to Nick, your point also. Strowman, if you're talking about an as an actor, he showed range tonight, and that's something he had not shown previously. You mentioned the mic work was terrible. You and I were arguing, you know, uh, going back and forth about that on Raw. It just didn't work for me. I didn't like that he spoke so much. What he showed tonight was. He can look as a monster, a little pathetic, kind of crawling out, bleeding, and then all of a sudden he just brings it right back and he and he gets up and he refuses to be down. That is a face. I mean, that's a baby face move right there. So it really worked for me, and I'm glad that they're giving him opportunities to go beyond the screaming. Just don't put a mic in front of him. And this was yeah, like Brian, and you also said this was like Bray Orton and Randy Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton, except except this was good and that was really bad. I would say that that would be the one diametric difference between those two things. All right, let's move on to what was actually the main event, and I we glossed over it, BC. I mean, no respect given to Samoa Joe and Brock Lesnar. <laughs> I mean, that was a really good match, and I actually really like the ending. We'll dive into that, Brock Lesnar. Just give you the story here. Samoa Joe comes out, beats him up before the match, puts him through a table. Samoa Joe basically handles him for eight minutes. Brock hits an F5 out of the Coquina clutch. It looked like he might pass out. Only one F5, though, for Brock Lesnar to get the victory here. Brian Campbell, your thoughts, Lesnar over Joe. You know, ironically enough, I rated this match higher than the Roman Reigns. The Roman Reigns match had the bigger moment post-match with the theatrics, all that stuff. But as a pure actual match, this is everything I want about Brock Lesnar at this point in his career. Like I tweeted out, this was a damned mixed martial arts 
match. And you know what? That's the best way to book this version of Brock. It was just like that WrestleMania match against Goldberg, which was under 10 minutes and it was a rock'em, sock'em. This had a different storyline and a different feel. But in the end, it was a giant winner in that regard. And, you know, in the end, it comes down to one F5. They got the victory. I mean, after six German suplexes, after three legit attempts at that Coquina clutch, it comes down to one F5. But I like that because they presented this as a real fight. And in real fights, just like Brock Lesnar's loss to Goldberg last year at Survivor Series, real, which was presented as a real fight in a, in a, to a large degree in the pro wrestling world, real fights ends with one big blow. When you catch somebody off guard, you catch somebody at the right time. This had a lot of that. And for Brock Lesnar to go over, it was the right move business-wise. We talked about why, the kind of future he's going to see coming into SummerSlam. But they were incredibly successful in completing the mission of getting Samoa Joe over as a legit A-level, title-contending, elite, pay-per-view main type of guy. And I would not have guessed or said that even three months ago. As much as I love Samoa Joe and loved everything he's done. And he was great on our show last week, by the way. I love everything about. But he's taking his game to a whole new level. They allowed him to look really good in defeat. I love the extra heel allowance by coming out and attacking Brock before the bell even started. Look, this is heel versus heel, which is always a little bit fishy on how you're going to book that. Sometimes Brock looked like the baby in the lead up to this. He came back. Brock looking at face. He came back looking like the heel, though, last week with how cocky he laughed at uh, Joe. I mean, Joe was the emotional one last week. Brock was the cocky heel. This time around, instant sympathy for Brock for as much sympathy as you can give for a guy who has a, a giant dong sword tattoo on his chest and has a history of PED use. I mean, that's just me talking out loud right there. But I'm saying sympathy, face-like love right there for Brock. This was a slam dunk. I don't know if you guys think I'm pushing it too far, but I had this as an A minus. This is everything I want from Brock at 41 years old. No, that's my exact grade. I think people get so used to Brock needing multiple F5s to beat people because you only see him in so many matches and they're at major events against top level main eventers, Reigns and Goldberg and all these guys. Well, most of the time, an F5 should end a match. So I'm glad that's exactly what happened. And it didn't hurt Joe. Like people, I, I saw people online. Tweeting, oh, you know, I wish Joe went over stronger. He went over pretty damn strong in that match. Yeah, unfollow I, those people, you, Adam. Unfollow yeah, them. You, no, no they don't get they don't get unfollowed. You, they need to delete their Twitter account and then close <laughs> their computer. Shut it down. You, you want to talk about Mark Milk when the when he slammed him through the table before the start of the match? I legitimately jumped out of my seat and I said, "Holy crap!" They they marked they marked me out. It, it worked. They're going to change the title tonight. They're going to do a Money in the Bank style like surprise cashing. You know, caught him off guard. Roll him into the ring. Bell you rings. You are a Mark God. Hits the hits the coquina clutch. This guy pouring milk of Marknesia in his hair. This is great. Yeah, I, no, I thought yeah, it was all over, man. I thought it was actually going to happen. I was like, this is really working for me. He got Joe got plenty of offense in this match to look strong. He doesn't need to continue this rivalry, which is kind of how you want this to end. You know, you have to remember back in the beginning when they first set this, we all talked about this being a one month feud, and then Lesnar needed to move on before SummerSlam. Well. We started thinking, you know what, this could actually continue and be something and really get drawn out. But ultimately, it ended exactly as we thought it would. However, in between, they sold it. And that was what's really important that WWE does not always do. I hope that this is not the end of Samoa Joe and Brock Lesnar, even if they're not going to have a rematch at SummerSlam. Let's do another title match on Raw in a couple weeks here, build it up again, and Brock's going to go over again, and Brock's going to keep cool. the belt. 
And and that's totally fine, BC. But but I, I need at least one more Brock Joe match on the heels of this. Absolutely. And one subtle thing that I don't know if they're officially doing here, but I hope. Remember when Brock fought Mark Hunt at UFC 200 last summer, and it was a big gamble, obviously heading into SummerSlam. Like, what if Brock? He was you know, all roided up and basically laid on Mark Hunt for five minutes and punched him in the head. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, he could have gotten injured, right? He could have screwed up SummerSlam. All this stuff. I was secretly, as a wrestling fan, hoping that Brock would have lost that match to see how creatively WWE would have booked him moving forward because the narrative heading into that UFC match was how does this affect Brock's booking as a destroyer monster if he goes out there and gets knocked out by Mark Hunt I think that we have never really seen Brock in the late 80s Hulk Hogan sort of booking sort of that giant hero who is getting knocked down but battling his way back and rallying. And no, I don't want Brock to hulk up. But what I'm trying to say is I think there's another chapter in his career in his 40s that will involve the kind of booking where he takes a licking, but he comes back on heart and, and intensity. I mean, the real Brock as a fighter is sort of a Hulk Hogan babyface. Remember his victory over Shane Carwin in the UFC when he got beaten down for a full round, Carwin busted his, open? Carwin beat his ass the entire fight, and then he Brock got him at the end. And Carwin on roids, uh, gassed out in the second round, and Brock rallies to choke him out. It's this great performance, top of the mountain of his career. That hasn't been Brock in the WWE because he's a destroyer, right? Well, we saw him really vulnerable in there against Joe that I kind of hope they may start to go in that direction where maybe it's like, hey, he's the aging champion. You, you know, he can take a licking. He can, he can bend, but he's not really going to break. I'd like to see some of that. Well, I'd like say the, the big the big difference here, I think, with the Hogan stuff, right, is Hogan obviously was this that was cartoonish. And look, and that was the deal back then and it worked back then. It's not a criticism of that style. This was real tonight. And like you said, it was it had the MMA style feel to it. So what when Brock popped up there, I really liked how it ended and people were upset, like, oh, they don't think Joe was protected enough. Of course he was protected enough. Joe do absolutely dominated the match, and the story is Joe beats him down for eight minutes. Brock basically like an RKO out of nowhere, except an F5 out of nowhere. Joe's going to come out on Raw and say that was a fluke victory, right? Because yeah, in essence, absolutely. that's how he was booked. And so I think that's pretty cool. I think we'll get a rematch uh, between these guys. And Brian, I don't know if that's necessarily the direction that they were planning on going in with this here, but I do think that's a pretty fascinating idea by you of what to do with um with Brock as, uh, as his career sort of goes on here. And one last note for me on this. Um, you know, I think that we need to give Brock a lot of credit here. And Samoa Joe has been getting a ton of plaudits and deservedly so over the last couple of months. Brock has done an unbelievable job throughout the build of this feud and then the match tonight of selling and putting Samoa Joe over in a way that you really don't really see Brock Lesnar do either in, in wins or losses. You know, like, like he really made Samoa Joe look like a badass to the point that he had his entire body magenta red after the coquina clutch looking like he was going to pass out on multiple occasions looking like joe had really had the upper hand on him so i give brock full marks for his effort in this match and i thought that he made samoa joe look like a superstar and like joe can't look like a star unless brock makes him look like one so i give brock a ton of credit for the whole deal tonight I totally agree the thing i'm going to remember coming out of that match besides you know if, if there's going to be a picture in my head it's lesnar on the ramp with Heyman by his side beat red in the face and looking at Joe like, I can't believe I just won that match. And that is the sell of Joe. You don't need, like like you said, Joe got eight minutes of action. He dominated the entire thing. He did. And, and people are going to remember that. But that Lesnar face is what Joe is going to be able to bring back on Raw and say, I had you. You know I had you. Until that last second, you got lucky, just like Brian said. The only other thing I'm going to say real quick before we move on, I don't know that Lesnar is going to be around long enough to continue into the storyline you're talking about, BC. Like, I think that's a genius booking. Like, I would love to see Lesnar in that role. 
I just don't know if he's going to continue with WWE long enough, maybe not even past this WrestleMania, to, for them to take that trip with him. All right, I think like we're we're sort of extrapolating up pretty far into the future here. Let's get back on track here with this pay-per-view. And, Bri, you said it after the ambulance recap here. What's potentially next here? So I think all of this intertwines, right? All four of these men that were involved in the main events tonight. Brock, Samoa Joe, Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman. What do you think we're going to see at SummerSlam? What do you want to see, Brian, coming up? I want to see a, a, a three-man main event, which I don't normally go out of my way to want. I just think that these two feuds, these four men have been operating at such a higher level than anyone else on, on either brand on the entire roster. The two builds have been incredible that I I almost want to keep this going. So if like we talked about in the past, of course, you want to combine Reigns, Brock and Strowman in some sort of multi-match here to get me to pop huge and then send Joe off into, I don't know, Finn Balor territory. You know, I'm, I'm all, all over that in a big way. You know what? I was all over in a big way. The tag team championship match. It was absolutely awesome. Sheamus and Cesaro going over the Hardys in the 30 man, 30 minute Ironman match, four falls to three. Uh, just fantastic from start to finish. And I give all four of these guys so much credit in this match here because they worked their asses off from start to finish. This was not like Brett Michaels where uh, where they, they start slow for the first 20, 25 minutes and then build to a crescendo. This was like a 30-minute crescendo. Fantastic stuff here. Sheamus and Cesaro, Brian Campbell, retaining the tag team championships. Well, I love the accidental Brett Michaels poison reference right there because, you know, I tweeted out that Bo Dallas and his new look kind of looks like a militia member. And other people had sort of tweeted him out. Who wore it better with a picture of Brett Michaels? from Poison, you know, with the bandana and Bo Dallas. Separate topic, I had to take I you I used there. to love those reality shows back in the Brett Michaels Rock of oh, Love. The guy's that the best. show was great. And Come then, on. like, that blonde chick, Daisy, with all the tattoos. Daisy, super hot. I had front row seats at Poison back-to-back in 02 and 03. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. All right, back to this match, though. So you have bad taste in music. Yeah, that's well, okay. you know, I have great taste <laughs> in parties, though. But that's the thing. I got to this is my humble pie moment. Big time comeuppance here. And it's going to go at Adam, my editor, who, who we talk a lot about wrestling. We talked tonight halfway through this match. I sort of summed up my feeling of the last few months. Like, you know, strong feud. It's been consistently good. It just hasn't hadn't moved me. And at the halfway point of this match, it really hadn't moved me. I was not excited about 30 minutes of these guys, but everything you said, Nick, in the end was perfect. All four men emptied the jar. And I'm hoping that this is the end because this was a perfect way, Crescendo, to end this feud. They went for it. The way that they booked, particularly the last five to ten minutes, was incredible. A lot of swerves and turns. The way that the Hardys were able to rally back and tie that, but then lose it in the end and then just run out of time after Matt Hardways and Jeff gets the pin, but the referee gets the count of one just as the, I mean, everything about that was on time, on point and perfect. And it was a summation of all the really good moments in the feud. So I, I eat humble pie here and say that this was almost the match of the night. I mean, those two heavyweight main events in their own ways specifically did, did obviously dwarf it, but this was a damn great tag team match and I didn't want anything to do with 30 minutes. I really almost despise multiple fall matches this day and age. I'm just, I have no time for them in my life. This worked top to bottom. I'm, I'm just going to leave it there and just say, well done. You know what I really loved. I love whenever you have an Ironman match or a multiple fall match and you get that initial fall right off the bat. And when he hit the bro kick, and, you know, you had the Cesaro interaction there. I knew it was a good match from there. I, I told, I said this on Wednesday's podcast, the preview, that I was looking forward to. I loved the two double main events, of course, but I was really looking forward to this match. And I thought this match 
had the opportunity to steal a show. And I think it's fair to say that if you put this match on the last Raw pay-per-view or many Raw pay-per-views, it's coming out as the best match. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it was great. And hopefully everyone that's listening already watched it or is going to watch it. It just, it it hit me from front to back. I was messaging with Brian on Slack. You know, he was giving me crap. Uh, yeah, I didn't think this was going to be very good. It's not very good, whatever. I said, this is going to be the best match on the card. You know, joke serious a little bit. And it turned out, what did you give it? B, C, and A? Something like that? A-? I believe I gave it a strong, B, uh, strong A-, minus. yes. Okay, so it was great. And this is what I want to point out from the whole match then. I know Nick probably has plenty to say on it. But the end of the match, you have Matt Hardy busted open on the eyebrow, bleeding, bleeding, making broken faces i think matt hardy was breaking tonight i hope i'm not taking it too far i know some other people felt the same way i think this match not only ended a great feud between two amazing tag teams including maybe the best of all time in the hardys you can make an argument but i think we are seeing the gimmick we all want to see happening well, I, I hope so, because they, they've shown you flashes of that before, whether it's Matt Hardy doing the delete, he's come out doing the broken stuff before, so maybe this is a precursor to that. I think everyone wants to see that, and I think it's probably the next logical step, because we've been talking about this for a while now. There's been no character development for the Hardys since they came back, and this is the end of the feud now. Like, like they, they can't justify giving the Hardys any more matches at this point. Like It's been two straight pay-per-views now. Sheamus and Cesaro have won in the gimmick matches, the cage match, last pay-per-view, and now tonight in the 30-man 30-minute Iron Man match. But I'll say, man, what a great freaking match. Like, this was really spectacular from start to finish. Very well-paced, very well-worked by all four men. Uh, I would give the match... I guess you give it an A minus because like you reserve A for like the best of the best, but it was damn good. Better than I think anyone expected it would be. And really was a foundational piece for what was an extremely strong pay-per-view. Our reviews of great balls of fire still to come. So no change in titles as far as it concerns the tag team division and also no change of titles in the women's division. But Sasha Banks did defeat the champion Alexa Bliss. But via Countout, Little Miss Bliss taking a seat on the outside, content to keep her title, presumably until the two BC Lockhorns yet again coming up in Brooklyn at SummerSlam. Look, they got a red hot, they got business here. They got red hot business to be done between these two. And Sasha is fired up, and we need a fired up Sasha right now. Did I like the ending? No, I did not like the ending at all. This is an overused thing. I mean, it's been overused twice in like the last month of the heel sort of walking away and willing to take the countout. That's a great finish. That's a great spot to use. It's been over-repeated. I mean, I looked it up quick on the internet. Bliss had done that on SmackDown or Raw alone to her personally twice in the last five months. So, you know, we just saw it with the Usos. We just saw it with Miz recently. That was bad in my eyes because I thought it abruptly ended what had been a physical match. But, but even, it did work, though. Well, let me but get to that in a second. Though. But even better had been really strong chemistry, and that's what is missing in these high-level women's matches because very few of these women, unfortunately, can produce really strong chemistry with, you r- with each like other. You felt like they didn't have chemistry following it's, that moment? It's really... Can I just get to the end of this? It really was... I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I want to let you get to the end of it because I think it's a really bad point that you're about to make. But yeah, what I'm on, trying let, to say is the women's here. division in general doesn't show a lot of chemistry outside of the four horsewomen and outside of Alexa Bliss, who has now entered their category. They showed really strong chemistry in here, which is why I didn't like the match to end so abruptly. Now, this is chapter one, right? Chapter one matches in a feud typically end abruptly, so I get that. But for everything I just said bad about the finish, the walking away as a heel, and accepting the countout, which is overused, they obviously won me back with the 
post-match theatrics. And you love seeing Sasha so fired up because really her character's gone nowhere in recent months. We talk, talked about it ad nauseum. But to see her this fired up and angry, like, no, Bliss, you stole my title opportunity to throw her into the video screen and to land that double knee spot, which that's one of those moves that I get caught in a mark zone every time and pour that milk of magnesia over my head because I feel like that badly hurts the other person. And I thought this one in particular, when I saw every replay, I thought Bliss legit got hurt on this one. So in the end... If this was chapter one, it did win. I gave it a B minus, taking away the things I didn't like. But there's real chemistry here. And like I said, we don't see enough of that in the women's division. You know, we talked during this after the superstar shakeup about switching Charlotte and Alexa Bliss and how that would help both women's divisions. And tonight we saw why, because this is the match that we wanted when Alexa Bliss moved to Raw. I thought it was fantastic. They did, just like you said, it's chapter one. They did more than enough in this match to get me excited for what I'm thinking is going to be like a last woman standing match, maybe the first one ever at SummerSlam. They work really well together. You saw it in the match throughout. I thought there was a solid story told the whole time. Obviously, anytime you get them going up to the announce booth on top of the stage and making some spots up there, I'm going to pop for that as well. Um, I just loved it. I, I really hope WWE doesn't throw Nia Jax into this match, make it a triple threat or do something like that. I want to see these two go at it with a stipulation where we have to have a finish. You know, there's a decisive winner. Um, and yeah, you're right. They overused, you know, the count out, you know, the champion letting, you know, retaining via count out. They've done it a lot recently. It's not the only match they did that tonight with a finish like that. And we'll get to that a little bit later. Well, guess what, guys? This is professional wrestling. That You're going to see that spot until the end of time. I had no problem with it. Again, as an act one, similar. Obviously not the same thing. Not apples to apples, but the AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, their U.S. championship match that ended in a count out with AJ getting his leg stuck in the, uh, in the table. Obviously, it's different. But we'll get a rematch between these two. The one thing that I will disagree with, Bri, I'll bury you a little bit on that take. Oh, uh, yeah. I thought the chemistry was great. I thought yeah. the match was really good. And I thought, but I said and I that. I said actually... the match was great. I said the chemistry was great. I only said bad about the ending. Come on, guy. That's not really what you said. You said the chemistry was good after the elbow. No, I said the chemistry in the division typically stinks that we finally had it here and made it so disappointing that the match ended early. Well, I I I will say about Alexa Bliss that I thought she stepped up to the plate tonight as a performer in ring. Like, obviously, she's cut very good promos before, but this was, I thought, her best match. I think it's the best match that I've ever seen Alexa Bliss have in ring. I thought it was excellent. So uh, full marks to Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss. Looking forward to their rematch, however it happens. Guys, the opener of Great Balls of Fire, pigs flying, hell freezing over, Bray Wyatt wins on pay-per-view? What the hell's going on here? Bray Wyatt beats Seth Rollins, a poke to the eye, followed by Sister Abigail. And what was a pretty hot opening match between the two? Yeah, pretty hot is the right way to say. And look, it, obviously the statistics don't always back up the idea that we all have that Bray always gets buried on pay-per-view and always loses. Because, of course, some smart out there, sorry I forgot your name, comes right back with saying, oh, another, you know, another person pushing this false narrative. But obviously perception is reality. And, yeah, we know that Bray went over at Elimination Chamber won the title. But outside of that, we're so used to seeing Bray lose that this was the right direction. But what you said, Nick, was really good. They just let him be a heel. Let, let, let a bad guy heel be a bad guy heel. And that's what they did here. It was a 12-minute match. It was strong. It was physical. It was fought at a good pace. I liked to see little spots like Bray interrupting the, the, the Rollins suicide dive by punching him in the face. You saw a lot of physicality. This feels like it's going in the right direction. As you know, Nick and, and Adam, I've loved the buildup dialogue-wise, the, the whole spiritual theory, all that stuff going on there. I've loved a lot of that. At some point, it's going to come down to this in this storyline in terms of the, the actual story. Story is Bray everything he says that he is. You know, I don't know. I don't 
don't have the confidence in the end that he will go over in the end like and become the sort of dominant heel star that I want him to be and not just consistently be this Jobert on the high level. But this was a great direction tonight. I really can say nothing bad about what was a solid match. And putting it in the opener really set the tone for the evening. I'm going to make this real short. I thought the match was booked well. I enjoyed the action in the ring. I'm glad Wyatt went over. I don't care about this feud. It does absolutely nothing for me. These guys don't seem like natural rivals. There's nothing on the line. There's no title on the line between them. I don't need to see it going forward. I think there's a little bit more juice there, but with so much time until SummerSlam, I hope they find a way to end it on Raw and put both of them into different feuds heading into SummerSlam. I don't need another five weeks build of this for a rematch at SummerSlam. I'm, I'm done I, with it. I would also prefer not to see a rematch between these two. And it's, it doesn't take anything away from the match, which I thought was pretty good. Obviously wasn't great, but as an opening match, it served its purpose. But like, I actually agree with the silver King on that. Like Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt with nothing at stake doesn't do much for me. I would like to see both of these two moving in different directions heading into SummerSlam. There is a lot of time and the deck can be reshuffled as soon as Monday night raw. Think so we'll wait to see what happens there. Think of this one thing though. We don't, we have a history of seeing Bray in great pay-per-view matches. We have a history of seeing him in some pretty damn good builds to matches. Rollins is the guy that can maybe give him his first really damn good pay-per-view match. And and to have a storyline that, at least for me, I, I care about to a certain degree, I think we're going somewhere. And I think we're going somewhere at SummerSlam. I think there's going to be a stipulation involved, but I think we can see a really good theatrical, awesome match if they have the backbone of a good storyline there to surround it. Just I'm saying don't sleep on it. We're going places. I'm not going to sleep on it. I'm actually quite awake on it. I think it's a great idea. And I think you're absolutely right. But I think here's the problem, right? Seth Rollins wins that match if they do it, right? Yeah, and yeah, then we're back right. at square one with Bray Wyatt because Correct. you said that you want Bray Wyatt to be this dominant heel, right? And I think that a lot of people will agree that Bray Wyatt has the ability to do that. I personally don't like the philosophical mumbo jumbo that he spits out. I don't know what the hell he's saying, but he's pretty over. A lot of people seem to like him. Here's the issue. He's number three in the pecking order of dominant badass heels on Monday Night Raw. Number four, excuse me, because if you consider Strowman to be a heel, plus you've got Brock Lesnar, plus you've got Samoa Joe, who I think are all clearly above Bray Wyatt on the pecking order. So what do you do with another like badass dominant heel? There's no room for him. So if they do that match, Seth Rollins wins, and we're going to be talking about it on the SummerSlam Instant Analysis podcast, where we're saying, hey, Bray Wyatt. Great match, but guess what? You're still, as you astutely called him, a Jobert to the stars because he will job in that match. Much like Enzo Amore did in his match, a glorified squash match as he loses to Big Cass in the first singles foray for the seven-footer from my hometown, BC, of Queens, New York. Your impressions of this one? You know, I'm not really moved by this overall, and I didn't like Enzo's promo off the top. You know, using the Frank Sinatra's that That's Life and really going long and deep, and I know a lot of people on my timeline did love it, did love what Enzo brought. Look, it just didn't move me. It went on too long to a point where it lost me. I thought he tried too hard I also thought that wasn't the spot for it. That's a Raw promo. That's the first 10 minutes of Raw right there. That And I know that that's a great area, especially with Enzo and Cass, because they've opened many pay-per-views by coming out and doing their shtick, especially in SummerSlam last year in Brooklyn. They've done a lot of that, but I thought it really just didn't fit here. In the end, we saw a repackaged Cass for the first time with his heel trunks, for the first time with this kind of weird heel song. 
cast did a great job at creating heat by the end of the match. And to the credit of the booking, they let Enzo get in very little offense, which in the end you had to do to make this storyline work. Big boot in the end. I mean, the press slam outside the ring, all of that was good. So Cass passed the test in my regard to allow me to sort of believe that he can maybe pull off this mean heel because I had a lot of questions coming in. Can he be a mean heel? I mean, he sort of has baby face written all over him. I just don't think they're digging deep into the storyline enough to make me care about this. And I think through the years, through the history of partners turning on each other, there's been other times I've been more invested where I can understand why the partner turned. This time, I'm not really secure and bought into the point that that Cass is just annoyed by Enzo. Oh, he talks too much. He steals my thunder. I don't feel that as much as I felt Michael's waking up one day and going, look, this guy Jeanette, he's a jobber. I got to get rid of him. I got to start begging Sherry. Like, I got to start doing things. I got to start doing bad things, well, right? It's, it's essentially the same thing, though. I mean, if you think about it, like, minus banging sensational Sherry, like, insert Carmella, but, you know, but but Big Cass here, like, he essentially woke up one day and said, you know what? Enzo's a jabroni, and I'm done with him. It's the same thing. Yeah, I just, you know, in the end, I don't know. Maybe So, you know, maybe I'm wrong, and it is late at night. I'm just saying that. No, you're not wrong. It's subjective. Like, it didn't yeah, do it. Like, right. like and, and I think that that just shows you that this was not a, a Silver King. It was not a, a home run sort of deal here. I, I, I liked it. I'll give my take on it. But here, your take on this here. And again, it, like you said, it's subjective. So it didn't move you the same way it might have moved me. But the fact that it didn't move both of us means that it wasn't as good as it probably should have been. You know, I, I like the promo that he gave. The problem with Enzo, and it's consistent, is this. He gets into like a word salad. Like He doesn't know, okay, 90 seconds of a promo, of a really good promo that he's capable of delivering, is so much better than three minutes when you're just, you start getting into the depth of, of this you know, comparison that you're making. You don't need to go that far. And that's what he does. He does it consistently. He's really good on the mic, but he needs to be shortened. And WWE needs to rein in that leash. I don't say that often about guys. Usually I want extra leash. He needs to be reined in a little bit. I'm not going to talk about the match. It's it's It was pointless. Obviously, it's a squash. I'm going to say this. Cass's entrance was made with Microsoft Word Art and like a heel theme song generator. They put no time into it whatsoever. They just threw it together. Oh, he's a heel. This is what we're going to give him. Uh, it was terrible. What I'm going to say is this. I love Talking Smack and Raw Talk, and they only do Raw Talk after pay-per-views. And the reason I love it is because it gives these wrestlers, guys and girls, an opportunity to almost do a shoot type of interview, shoot type of promo. And nine times out of ten, it works. Cass on Raw Talk tonight gave a better promo than he's ever given on any television show at any time. Backstage, in the ring, everything. It was fantastic. He laid out exactly why he's a heel and exactly what his motivation is going forward. And it was done on a show that no one's going to say. I actually like Cass's theme music here. I actually thought it was pretty good. And I feel like I, I might be the only one. I, there's some different, like, like, why is Cass's theme song any worse than Seth Rollins' theme song or Dean Ambrose's theme song? Like, I, I don't think there was like a demonstration. Oh, Seth Rollins is really good. That's a really uh, good Rollins song. is okay, but it's, it's a drum beat over and over again. Like, at least you had some differentiation here with Big Cass's theme. And I think that people will start to like Cass's theme Maybe. the more that they hear it. That, is, that will be my, my, my prediction here. And we'll see what happens with Cass moving forward and Enzo moving forward. Brian, one thing on what you said about Cass drawing the heat, what I think will be interesting to watch was that heat because of Enzo or is Cass capable of getting it on his own in a match that does not involve the storyline built in here that he had with Enzo over the past year or however long it's been so I think that that's going to be can Cass draw that heat against somebody else look I'm not like I love Cass the character I love Enzo and Cass I mean seriously like their their creation of merch alone has been incredible of one-liners and all that 
I don't have a large belief that Cass will be a giant star. And I know that like he's got the look that Vince is going to love. He's going to get every opportunity. He's just good in the ring, but you know, not really great. And he's really not that good on the mic. And for as great as nice as a guy is he outside the ring, I, I just don't have big giant hopes. I don't know where they're going to go with here. And I just think that for as much as Cass and Enzo hit out of nowhere and were instant successes and made the leap from NXT and had every t-shirt out there. Everyone always said, well, eventually you're going to break them up. It just feels too soon and not big enough now that it finally happened. And maybe it's going to be a short turnaround. Maybe the fact that Cass doesn't have a legit theme song and has sort of a, a throwaway theme song is a clue in that regard. But I got the same questions you do, Nick, about where this is really going to go long term. Professional wrestling littered with star big men who couldn't really work but got over based on their size or their look the ability to deliver one or two lines on a microphone or one or two big moves. So I think there's no question. Like, like at the end, I tweeted this. Vince was probably seeing dollar signs when he was watching Big Cass draw that heat at the end of that match. So I think you should start to get used to it because I do think that we will see Big Cass in that role here. I don't know how soon it's going to be, but we'll see Cass as a main eventer, I think, at some point in the next 6 to and, 12 months. And he's got great taste and, in women, by the way. Let's the, let's give him that. You know? the, the, the key that you said, BC, is too soon. The, WWE has broken up a ton of tag teams recently. They have no face tag teams on Raw. And they now have Cass in what? A role that Strowman is currently... Like, like what are they going to make Cass into that they don't have already on Raw? They, they did not need him to be a singles competitor on that show. He's not going to compete for the Intercontinental title. He's not going to compete for the Universal title. So now, instead of being in a legitimate tag team where they still had a title run in them that they never, ever gave them in NXT or WWE... Now both of them are just in no man's land and they may have ruined a really good over tag team to get two singles competitors that are going to be absolutely worthless. I think Enzo and Cass were pretty overrated as a tag team. I had no problem with the way that they broke up. I didn't think that it was ever going like it was never going to be bigger than it was because Enzo and Cass were never really that big to begin with and WWE showed you that by bringing the Hardys back and hotshotting the titles onto them at WrestleMania Great point. when that was supposed to be Enzo and Cass's big moment in the ladder match. So I think that probably should have been the clue to everybody that this this was not going to last for that much longer. And I specifically saved the last match to recap for last because I had no interest into it going in. I had no interest in it while it was going on. And I sure as hell don't need to see for the 7,000th time the Miz defending the Intercontinental Championship against Dean Ambrose. They had some good moments leading up to it with the Miz celebration and the dancing bear and all that crap with the grandfather clock. They had some good stuff, but can we please put this to bed now that Miz has beaten Dean Ambrose yet again on pay-per-view? Yeah, it's past time. The only good thing about this was the Miz Taraj as a faction I like. The the new look of the suit on Curtis Axel and that sort of, like I said, militia meets rock star look on Bo Dallas. That worked great. Everything about this just ended already. I mean, this finish has been such, I mean, it's been used so much by Miz and Maurice alone, not to mention not to mention everybody else of putting the leg on the rope and then the entourage jumps on the apron. I mean, it's the Singh brothers. It's, it's, I know that's a staple in wrestling, but come on, we've seen it too much of it. Get away from this. Let's do big things with the Miz. Let's keep the bell on them and keep pushing it forward. But yeah, I mean, the, the only match, the only other match we should be talking about is Heath Slater because he's got kids, although we didn't see the finish there. But yeah, that's about it, Nick. Well, we didn't talk Cruiserweight either, but I will say this. You're 100% right. I'm done with it. I never want to see it again. Like, we've now done it for the U.S. title. We've now done it for the Intercontinental title. It's over. The finish, like you said, you said Maurice and Miz have done it a lot. It's Orton Mahal with the Singh brothers. Like, they've done it three times recently. They did it again. Like, we talked about the women's finish, the countout happening. This happens all the time. Like, it's it's enough. Miz needs a clean heel win at some point. The only takeaway I really have out of this 
is Dean Ambrose is booked so poor. Roman Reigns looked more deranged and off kilter doing one thing, driving that ambulance into the semi than Dean Ambrose has in, in his entire career in WWE. Well, that's an indictment on Dean Ambrose that you just made, not on Roman Reigns. That's not the writing. That's oh, no, it was Ambrose on Ambrose. Not, that's the yeah, Dean yeah. Ambrose not connecting as a, as a performer. And you guys know I'm, I'm not the biggest Dean Ambrose fan. And just to swing back to something BC said, that was pretty cool to, to sort of sell what was going on uh, after the after the ambulance match, to have the Kurt Hawkins, Heath Slater, Improv 2 match that they didn't even show you the finish of because the jaws of life were getting Braun Strowman out of the ambulance. That was a very nice comedic touch to what they were p- putting over as a dark moment. So that was actually sort you know, of You reminded me of, remember when I Vince created. came back at the end of 2015? He hadn't been on TV for a full year. He came back during that Roman feud with Sheamus for the, for the world title, and he walks into a uh, R Truth match against some other social outcast, and he goes, "Get the hell out of my ring!" Like he just yeah, walks yeah, into like, the ring in during a live match. He goes, "Get the hell out of my ring!" Like that is so that is so like badass owner material right there. Like well done, and they and they obviously did that in this match. I mean, they didn't even they didn't even show it to you, but yeah, it, it was all good in the end. Anything for you, Brian Neville defeating Akira Tozawa to retain the Cruiserweight Championship? You know, I thought I, I thought it underdelivered in the end. I have high hopes for this feud. I mean, I think everything Neville is touching is gold right now, and I think Tozawa coming off of that Brian Kendrick uh, strong performance in that feud, you're going to see big things from them. This was Chapter One, but it really was a soft Chapter One. It, it worked hard to put over Neville's heel tendencies his heel you know willing to try to cheat to win but then again we saw him try to cheat to win in every match against uh, Austin Aries so I felt it was a step back I didn't see enough of Titus O'Neil and in the end it was on the pre-show which in the end it deserved to be I wanted it on the main show because I thought it could have stood out and tried to compete for match of the night I don't know if this means that Tozawa is not on the Neville level so to speak you know the power no. of Tozawa I just mean he, that he, he I is have, not on the Neville level I, I have, definitely not I have six words for this, and Brian knows what they are. The cruiserweight division is a travesty. Oh, how dare you? Well, we don't have well, the time well, for get... me to put that to to defend Correct. that and fight that. How dare you? Let Let's get Enzo Amore in a feud with Neville here, and let Let's really start cooking with gas here because Neville. I think Enzo would be a really good foil to Neville's heel stuff. So let's do that here. And now Enzo's lost a cast. Let's do something with both those guys. I would like to see that feud here. All right, our reviews now for Great Balls of Fire, Silver King. Thirty seconds to you here. What What do you got? Sure. So, you know, it all comes down. I love the tag team match, of course, but it all comes down to the two main events. And this is how I look at it. The 20 minute, the final 20 minutes of Great Balls of Fire. There's been better 20 minutes in WWE pay-per-views in the past. No question. But I don't know if I've ever been as entertained or at least I don't know that I've ever been more entertained than I was during that final 20 minutes. It kept me on the edge of my seat. There was storyline development, character development. We saw four huge heavyweights in back to back main events, which you don't always see. It's very rare that WWE gives you a real fight card match order when it comes to building a show, just like a UFC pay-per-view would be. They did that tonight. I love those two main events. I thought it was a B, B-plus show, and that's because a lot of the other matches were so bad. Um, but I loved it, and kudos to them. I'm going to go A-minus here, Bri. Uh, fantastic main events between Brock and Joe. Fantastic ambulance match. I loved the hell out of the tag team title match, and I thought the women's match was very good also. This was an excellent pay-per-view. I don't think it was best of the year. I think Royal Rumble was probably better, but this mm-hmm. might have been the second best pay-per-view WWE has put on all year. It was it, it way, way went over what my expectations were. Yeah, it was certainly the best build outside of Mania, and I stand by that. I thought in the end, you know, it came pretty darn close to living up, if not exceeding the expectations, but it was top-heavy, so I'll give it a B+, and it's hard to give it only a B+, when some of those moments 
moments were so incredible, and there's so much to talk about coming out of there. But look, that we talked about that undercard. It just wasn't. It was consistent. It was just consistently average all the way through. So I'm content there with a strong B plus. But for a pre-SummerSlam July pay-per-view that many, many, many times in the past has been mailed in with a giant stamp, this was very well done in the end. The goodness gracious, great balls of fire. I think that we'll get that pay-per-view be- name back again next year, given the success it of worked, the event right? tonight. It worked, right? It worked. Brian, we'll be back on Wednesday for the pro wrestling edition of In This Corner. You got anything cooking on the podcast before then? Yeah, we're going to be back on the boxing edition. Going to have a nice chat with Jeff Horn, the Australian unknown no more coming off of that upset of Manny Pacquiao. He's got a lot of fire he wants to share about the reaction to his victory. It should be a good chat. Also, this week is McGregor Mayweather, the Four City International Tour. We're going to have some reaction to that. I think McGregor is going to produce an absolute-ish show, and this is going to (laughs) be wild, and we're going to have a lot to say on the boxing front as MMA and boxing collide. And, you know, always slide in i mean just not only slide into our dms uh dive right in at b campbell cbs at the costos at silverstein adam the dm segment will be back like it always is on wednesday for the people by the people hey but you know you, you go to bed on sunday night feeling happy and let's hope this tone continues in wwe programming the rest of the week All right, I'm exhausted, so we're going to end the podcast. For the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am handsome Nick Costos, the Brian Campbell. Give us two words as we close it out. We out.